Hello, everybody. Hey, my name is Charlie. Uh, welcome to Mission Point. And again, my name is Charlie, a.k.a. the Backpack Guy. And, uh, man, for those of you that don't know, when I uh, preached last time, I brought a bunch of backpacks up on stage, and apparently that's my name now. You'd be surprised how many people actually have come up to me or my wife and have said, hey, you're that guy. You're the guy that brought his backpacks on stage. Yeah, the backpack guy. Uh, obviously, the content of my message must have been so memorable. <laughs> and then, not only that, but after I preached, Pastor Matt came up to me afterwards and said, hey, hey, there's one major thing that I would change. One thing you need to fix and, and do better next time. And, well, to be honest, I, uh, I, I was wrapping my brain trying to figure out what this thing could be. Um, am, am I not good looking enough? Uh, it, is my last name Miller? Is that too easy to spell? You know, Simfuque Miller. Uh, have I, uh, you know, maybe coming from Cleveland is too close. Maybe because I, haven't, I didn't come from Africa or from uh, Atlanta. I, I, or, or I know what it is. It's because I don't use an iPad, isn't it? I have... I have no old-fashioned notes. Uh, obviously, I'm just kidding. But in all honesty, he did say, there's one thing you need to do. And he said, tell the people a little bit about yourself. And I realized I sped through that in my last sermon, so it's your lucky day. Again, like I said, my name is Charlie, and I get to serve here as a ministry intern. I'm a seminary student. It's my last year. I'm so close to being done. And uh, I've called Mission Point home for quite a few years. And uh, I am a farm boy, okay? I grew up in a Christian family, but not only that, but we had a farm. And it was a fourth-generation farm. I, I, we were an orchard. And so, man, most of my childhood, most of the memories of my childhood are tied very closely to hard labor. And I can tell you this, I am so thankful for warm buildings and indoor jobs nowadays because Back in, the old, back in the old days, man, I used to spend all of my winters out trimming apple trees in a frozen tundra. That was my life. It doesn't really connect to my sermon, but I just wanted to say that anyways. So. But I am thankful for warm buildings in 2018. Speaking of 2018, welcome. Who is excited about the new year? Man, all right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Man, I am ready. Okay, we're seven days in. How are y'all doing on those New Year's resolutions? Are we 50% success rate right now? I mean, at least, maybe? I mean, I hope so. You know, the thing about resolutions is that they don't often turn out very well. And how do I know that? Well, because every single resolution I've tried to make has failed. It just seems like I always try, this year I'm going to do a little bit better. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said, all right, this year... This year, I'm going to work out three times a week. JK, okay, no, this year, this is the year. Year after year. And the reality is, if resolutions worked, there wouldn't be any repeats. And I can't tell you how many times there's been repeats in my life. Our American culture has set up such an emphasis on this New Year's time of New Year's resolutions. And... I don't know that it's all bad because resolutions aside, I love what January brings. It's like, 
So much potential right at my fingertips. It's just so exciting. There's so many opportunities and, and I, there's just, once I get over the Christmas blues, because man, for me, those are real. Once I get over the post-Christmas blues, I'm just ready to take on the new year. But also the new year provides some opportunities for us as Christians. You know, it's an opportunity for us to kind of realign what we're going to be about. But another problem is that we begin to treat that like resolutions as well, man, don't we? Okay, this year, guys, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Oh, scratch that. No, this year, I'm going to read my Bible every day. Last year, that was, oh, that was this year. This is the year. Over and over and over, this is how we live our lives. We think, this is the year I'm going to do blank. JK, life kicked in. The sting of the new year wore off, and now... Now I'm just back to, back to reality, I guess. I often find myself searching for meeting a new purpose in the new year. I just want to make a bigger impact on those around me. I, I just want to do more for the kingdom. Oh, last year wasn't good enough. I have to do better. and We, we form these spiritual New Year's resolutions. And we use them to gauge the impact we're making and how compelling our life is as Christians. And the problem is, is that what ends up happening is we just add more things that we need to do and add more ministries we need to get involved in and, and we just add more busyness and, and we're just trying so much harder and what happens is it just leaves us feeling overscheduled and underutilized. Stretched thin, yet feeling like we aren't making a difference. But, but I want this year to be so compelling. That's, that's just all I want. I search and search for the next big thing. I've become infatuated with finding the new attractive calling. Come on, 2018. Come on, what do you have for me? 2017 was it all it was cracked up to be. 2018, what you got? Where are you at? All that nonsense just leaves me feeling bogged down, overwhelmed, burned out, discouraged, and useless. I, I just can't find any answers. So what should my 2018 be about? What should our 2018 really be about? We're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture that answers this very important question. See, this passage, it's the last letter that Paul wrote. It's 2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 4. This is the last letter that Paul wrote before his death. And I don't know about you, but I am a sucker for famous last words. Uh, you know, in, in the movies, you know the scene where you got the, the buddy, he's holding his, his friend, and his friend's laying down there with a tear in his eye, short of breath, and he looks up and... And with his last words, he lets out this, his last remarks, his dying wish. Ah! You know what I'm talking about, right? How about this quote? Promise me, Rose, and never let go of that promise. Any, anybody? Titanic, yeah. Or how about this? You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall come back more powerful than you can possibly imagine. That one's easy, I hope. Star Wars, all right? 
Two great quotes from iconic movies. And these famous last words are things that we always want to hold on to because in movies and, and often in real life, they're, they carry so much weight. They're very important. It's kind of like, what do I, when I go out, what do I want to be known as? What is the last thing I want to say? But what do famous last words and 2018 have in common? Well, the Apostle Paul chooses to give one charge in his final letter that he wrote. See, it's almost as though he knew that we would be scrambling to figure out what this new year is going to be about. It's almost like he knew that we'd be clawing at anything to make our life better, to be more compelling, to be a more mature Christian. But he also knows that we'd get easily distracted by so much. But let's be honest here. Paul's not really looking at the beginning of a new year. No, no, he's looking at the end of his life. See, he's in prison. And not only that, but it's a Roman prison. And he's not just there for any offense. He's there just because he's a Christian. And he also knows that he won't make it out alive. Because his execution, his death, is right around the corner. And man, I know that's a little bit morbid. But really, though, He's waiting for his death. We're going to look at this letter that he wrote right before his execution. And it's one of my favorites. And it's one of my favorites because, of, because mainly, recently, I had the opportunity to actually go to Rome where this letter was written. And not only that, but I got to go into the very prison where Paul was held. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. We show up at this prison, and there's a gift shop and a museum. It's so interesting. There's a gift shop at an old prison. But anyways, there's a little museum up top, and we had the opportunity to actually go down below into the actual prison cell. And, man, we were goofing around. I had some of my buddies there and a, and a professor, and we're goofing around walking down. I remember laughing, walking down the steps until I stepped off the last step. And then there was a certain weight and a certain heaviness. And, and, man, you could just smell the filth, the disgusting decay, the pain, the suffering. There was a moisture in the air. The ceilings were low. And it was such an a powerful and impressive sight. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. And we didn't laugh. We didn't really talk. It was such a solemn moment. Because here's Paul. He's chained up to the wall. Not wearing much clothes. And later in the later letter, he actually asked for Timothy to bring him a cloak because he's so cold. So he's starving. He's cold. He's probably beat up. He's waiting for his death. He knows he's not going to make it out alive. He's in a really low place. But does he wallow? Does he choose to sit in his despair, the literal pit of despair? No, he chose instead to send us a profound letter with a profound message. The letter to a friend, Timothy. And in it, Paul gives Timothy one final charge that I, will, that I believe will change the trajectory of our 2018. 
it will change how we live our life today. So what is it? What does Paul choose to say and in, as his final thing? What is his final charge? Well, sit tight. We'll get there. But first, we have to explain a little bit. Paul takes some time to explain a little bit some of the cultural background. So let's take a look at the cultural landscape that Paul describes that will happen in the future. And it will help us understand the importance of his words. So again, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to have the verses up on the screen. And if you don't own your own, we'd love to get one in your hand. Head on out to the Connection Corner and get your own copy, and you can just keep it, because we would love to gift you with the Bible. It's such an important thing. So again, 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to take a look at verse 3. It says this, For a time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn aside their ears, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul is saying, for the time will come. And I'm saying, um, look around you. The time is here. See, Paul saw a change that was starting to rumble under the surface as Christianity was spreading. It was starting to reach out and touch some other thoughts and ideas out there in the known world. There were false teachers popping up and they were beginning to mix Christianity with Judaism, Christianity with mystical, strange beliefs, and some people were throwing out Christianity altogether. And Paul's beginning to see this and he wants to draw attention to it. People are starting to draw t- or chase after their own desires and surround themselves with people that make them feel comfortable. But the thing is, is that he still says it in a very futuristic way. He says, for a time is coming. And he was speaking of a time that was coming. He was warning Timothy, look out, Timothy, be alert, there's something coming. Spoiler alert, it has arrived. It is here. Just walk up to any millennial, any millennial on the street and ask them at a secular college and ask them, what is truth? What's truth? Truth? There's no such thing. It's what I decided it is. Truth is relative. I, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. Just keep your truth to yourself. Those darn millennials. Not to mention the Bible. Man, that book, geez, written by a bunch of old guys. They were so disconnected with our culture. They have no idea what they were talking about. It's obvious God's word has no authority. And it's so true, even in our churches. Some people not only deny the existence of God, they take it upon themselves to discover their own reality. Oh, I am my own God. God is in nature. God is in everything. And they're turning aside to myths. They're wandering off, Paul says. I don't know how many of you may have been to a t-ball game. You know, Little League, we're talking real young with a t-ball. And it seems like there's always that one kid on the team who's in the outfield often, and he is so distracted by the butterfly that's flying around his head. 
And he's spending his time in the outfield chasing after that butterfly, leaping and trying to snag it with his mitt, not realizing what's going on around him. There's a whole game. There's a reality of a game. And there he is in the outfield. And he's the cutest kid usually on the team too. He's up there jumping around, chasing after the butterfly. It's like, come on, Johnny. Come on, pay attention. He's so disconnected. He's wandering off. And I think that's a great picture of the culture today. People are just wandering off from the truth. They're not tied to reality. They're not living a life that has really any meaning. See, now it's so stinking easy to surround yourself with people who think like you do. To find teachers that teach you what you want to hear. And most people surround themselves with people that agree with them. I mean, I would, right? I mean, it's comfortable. Why not? They, we can group up and, and form huddles with people that will pat us on the back and tell us that what we believe is fine because it's what they believe, right? It's so easy to do. I mean, just Facebook alone, there are almost 2 billion monthly Facebook users. Think it would be easy to find what your itching ears want to hear? To find a group on Facebook that agrees with your perspective? Yeah, it's super easy. Misery always loves company. But not only that, sin loves company. It's a lot easier to sin when everyone around you is doing it. So much easier to turn from the truth when your battle boos are doing it too. Sin loves company. People form groups, then wander off into myths, lies, and darkness. Paul is describing our world, the cultural landscape of 2018. And he's preparing to tell us what we can do about it, right? He's explaining this is the culture and I'm going to tell you what you can do about it, what your calling should be. Because the cultural landscape is changing. It doesn't matter if it's religion, politics, or social issues. You can find a teacher that teaches you anything you want to hear. You can find a group of people to support anything. It doesn't have to be sin either. You can find anything. You want to find a group of people that believe Ford pickup trucks are the best pickups? Type in Ford Truck Club on Facebook. I did it. It's a real thing. You want to find a group of people who believe in Bernie Sanders and support his agenda? You can do it. It's really easy. You want to find people who share your views on the Second Amendment? Man, you can sure do that. You want to find people who don't believe Jesus is the Son of God? They're out there. You want to find people to justify your porn addiction? You can find them, and they'll say, hey, it's fine. It feels good. Not hurting anybody. You want to find a group of people who reject creation and believe in Darwinian evolution? It's really not that hard. This is exactly what Paul is trying to explain. It is a lot easier to sin against God when you can drown him out with the war chants of the people around you. You can ignore the truth of God's word when you got all your loudmouth friends talking around just saying the things that you believe anyways. Paul is saying, listen here everybody, the times are changing. 
It's not going to be easy, fun, or attractive to be a Christian anymore. Even in your churches, it's not going to be fun, easy, or attractive to be a Christian. And the world and our culture and the people around you are becoming more and more hostile to you. They're hostile to the gospel, which makes them hostile to you. It literally says that they will turn away from the truth. It's a conscious effort. Because if I look at truth and if I believe truth, it means I need to change. And nobody wants to change. Paul says the time is coming. I say the time is here. It's 2018, baby. So now what? Now that Paul has painted this awful landscape of what our culture looks like, what now? He's mysteriously described our culture, told us what we're seeing in detail, and now he has a final charge for us, a call to action that could change our 2018. Let's take a look at verse 1. All right, Paul, give it to me straight. What's my 2018 going to be about? Verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Okay, here it comes. All right, my new calling, 2018. What you got? What you got? What you got? Verse 2, preach the word. What? Preach the word. Wait, wait. That's it? Paul, you're... You're about to die. You have one last will and testament. You have one last famous last word that you can say and you choose to say, preach the word. That's the big reveal? That's the final thing that you wanted to tell me? Yep. And it's more profound than even I realized. Because, uh, well, first, preach the gospel. What that, what that, what, what, preach the word. What that really means is Tell the gospel. Tell people about your Savior, Jesus. Share the gospel. It's a simple call to share the hope that is within us. See, Paul knew that the end was drawing near. That he didn't have much time left. And he talks about how the end time is coming too because he talks about the appearing Jesus appearing, and then he talks about and, and, and his kingdom, and, that, and that's the rapture and the millennial kingdom, and he's saying all this is happening is coming to a head, and you better be on the lookout, and I'm about to die, and you know what? I got one thing to tell you. Share the gospel. But why? Why? Why is that what we're told to do? And to be honest with you, I was really, really struggling through this uh, passage this week. You know, as I got into it and I started to work through it and study it, man, I just got so stuck. I just realized, I was like, pause, you really just want me to go up front of Mission Point and just share the gospel. Just, Just tell them, hey, everyone, you need to share the gospel. That's it? Man, I was disappointed. I I thought to myself, am I really... Come on, God, I want something a little more exciting, you know? Something edgy, something really classy, you know? I wanted uh, something radical, something that's just like, wow, that guy can preach. And I wanted you all to look at me and go, mm, bring it, 
Bring it, preacher. Man, and as I continued to study it, and Sunday came closer and closer, I was dreading it and dreading it until I realized the rut I was in and, and thought about it. And, and I realized, man, there are two reasons why. First, it's a, it was a pride issue. And I wanted to have something edgy, something really compelling that you could walk away and write in your diaries. And man, I can remember this. Yeah, like that guy, he can preach. And honestly, I just wanted your approval. And I wanted you to say, man, I wanted your stamp of approval and your, your verification that, yeah, you're, man, you're doing good. And you're doing good. But, but I think there's something more. I think, in all honesty, I had forgotten my own need for the Savior. I had grown so used to being a Christian that I had forgotten the cost. It cost Jesus his life. And I had forgotten that. I was the reason that he died and I had forgotten the salvation that he offered me because, man, I've been saved my whole life, right? It's, this is nice. I so often take my salvation for granted. And the problem is when I take my salvation for granted, I forget to share that with other people. I don't share the gospel when I don't even remember that I'm saved. If I take it for granted, I'm not out there sharing the, the good news. The reality is the world is dying and we have hope. As the world grows darker and darker, our light shines brighter and brighter. So the gospel. The gospel that we, that man rejected God, that we rebelled against the creator, that we were guilty and doomed for judgment, but God, full of grace and mercy, sent his Son down to earth to die in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose again, conquering death, and he offers us eternal life. That is the gospel. It's a free gift of salvation. All we need to do is accept it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to lose it. It's a free gift. The gospel is the message that there is more to life than what we see around us. Paul talks about this mess that we see in the culture and this shift and Man, some of the really crazy things going on. And he's saying, listen, there's more to life than what you see around you. There's an opportunity to have unity and communion with God. The creator of the universe wants you. You can become a son and a daughter of God. God, I mean, that's incredible. Our Savior Jesus offers life for now and for eternity. Peace with God, sinners made saints, enemies becoming children. Nothing is more compelling than that. That is the gospel. Jesus died for your sins 
and wants you. He wants you. It's such a simple concept and an important concept. And Paul chose to use it as his last dying phrase. Take a look at verse 2 again. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So here we see the phrase, be prepared in season and out of season. And, And literally what that means is whether it's opportune or inopportune. It means that we need to be sharing our faith, whether it's convenient or inconvenience. Sometimes it will be comfortable. Other times, very uncomfortable. But our calling remains the same, and that's to share the good news that we have. As the culture continues to shift, more opportunities will continue to shift And they're going to shift from opportune to inopportune. They're going to shift from comfortable to uncomfortable, from convenient to inconvenient. The culture is becoming more hostile, more resistant to the gospel. They're wandering off in the midst. And it's becoming so much harder to share. There will be a growing number of inopportune times. And honestly, Paul... Man, he picked an inopportune time. He picked an inopportune time to share the gospel and look where he ended up. Man, but it's worth it. Whether opportune or inopportune, share the gospel. Maybe it's the friend at school you know is an atheist and they're resistant to God. Or, or it's that coworker who, who just, she just lost her dad to cancer and man she's searching for answers she has no idea and and she feels so lost and she doesn't know where to turn or maybe it's that loved one uh, that grew up in the church and as soon as she went to college she went out on her own and rejected the gospel and was just living her own life or maybe it's your dad who has never to this day believed, and he's getting up in years. See, these are all examples of times where we can share the gospel, and most of them are what I would call inopportune. Paul wants us to understand that there is no opportunity and no situation that cannot be flooded with the gospel. Jesus offers life. And God wants to use that truth to impact people if we are just willing to share. The verse also says, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And these all refer to sharing the gospel. See, see God, he sometimes uses the gospel to rebuke, to to rebuke evil and sin in our lives and in the lives of the lost. And I can't remember how many times, I can't even begin to tell you how many times where I would think about the price Jesus paid in my life and I would look at the sin in my life and I'd go, man, 
man, I know that sin is paid for, Lord, but I want to surrender it to you. That sin no longer binds me. Or maybe it's to correct false beliefs and teachings. And I think of the Reformation. You know, right now we just, we just got done with celebrating last, this past year the 500-year Reformation, um, <clears throat> the celebration, the anniversary. It, Martin Luther didn't like what he was seeing, the fact that the Catholic Church was adding so many things to the gospel. And he said, no, you know what? This is not the gospel. It's, it's faith and faith alone. And he nailed the 95 Theses. And that was an inopportune time. But he used the gospel to correct something that was happening. And then finally, maybe the gospel is encouraging. It can encourage the hurting and the broken. And this can be for Christians and non-Christians alike. Does anybody need encouraging? I mean, I need encouraging. And it's so helpful when we remember what our calling truly is and that we are saved by grace. It's just amazing how encouraging that can be and how meaningful it can be in our lives as well. No situation is too big for the truth of the gospel to permeate an impact. We just need to learn and prepare to share. Let's take a look at the last verse Paul uses to close this section. Verse 5. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. In the midst of the chaos and the darkness in our world, Paul says, but you, but you. It's a stark contrast with the culture the culture's causing all these inopportune moments and they're going off into myths and they're living things contrary to the gospel. But he says, but you. We must be willing to keep our head in all situations. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and be willing to share the hope that is in you with the world around you. See, Paul is facing execution, and he's coming, it's coming to an end of the era. The era of the apostles is about to close. And he chooses to pass on one final thing to us. Because now, the focus has shifted from the apostles to the church. And so, mission point, what he's saying to us is he's saying, listen, church, it's your turn. Are you willing to share the gospel? It's like it's a relay, a race, and he's passing the baton and saying, my leg is done, it's now your turn. Are you willing to take the baton and share the gospel? Because the further people wander, the clearer our calling becomes. Share the good news. The more people become hostile to God, the brighter the gospel can shine. Share the good news. So church, what are we going to be about in 2018? Are we going to allow the words of Paul to refocus us 
Are we going to allow these powerful, famous last words to change our trajectory? Or are we just going to forget them? He tells us what being here is all about and what our 2018 needs to be about, and that is sharing the gospel. Ministries and services are good, but without the gospel, the good news of our salvation, they are hollow. And they are meaningless. For as you know, Mission Point exists to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. But guess what? You are all Mission Point. So how are you doing? Mission point. Are you sharing the gospel? Because we are the church as individuals and we need to be living out our calling. Our world will never change without heart change. It doesn't matter the ministry plan or the foreign policy or the government regulation. Our world will never change without heart change and we have a role to play in that and that is share the gospel. It needs to be your number one priority because we are all preachers of the gospel. And every preacher has a platform. So what is your platform? Because when it comes to preaching the gospel, you are as much a preacher as I am or as Kondo or as David Platt and Matt Chandler. And it doesn't matter. We are all preachers of the gospel. And we all have a platform. We all have a specific sphere of influence where we can share the good news with the people around us. If you had to share today, could you? Could you share today? Are you able to put the gospel into your own words? That's a great question. And honestly, it was... It was a really good practice for me as I prepped because I had to think through how would I put this in my own words. I mean, that's something that we need to start with today. Putting the gospel in our own words so we can share it freely. You are a proclaimer of the good news. And I'm, if you've been around Mission Point, you've, I'm sure you've heard about the 50,000. There are 50,000 people in our county that claim no church affiliation that don't know Jesus. 50,000. And if we're not willing to step in and proclaim the good news, that number's going to stick. It's not going to change. But I want to leave you with one challenge today. I know 50,000 seems really overwhelming. But can you think of one person in your life? Just one. One person that you can share the gospel with this week. And if you need to write it down or text it to yourself, I don't care, but I want you to come up with one name of someone that you can tell about Jesus. You have a platform. And our world is falling away rapidly. Our culture is shifting in a terribly disgusting way. Are you going to step in and be a light with truth? Are you going to share the gospel? 
That's what we have to be about, church. 2018, that is our call. That has to be. We have to let all of the distractions fade away, and we have to start there. Are we going to be willing to share the gospel? And if so, how will it change what our 2018 will look like? I am excited to see. I'm excited to see. I mean, for those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe you've heard the gospel, maybe you haven't, but this is the first time. You, you can get saved today. You can become a child of God. And if you don't know him, it's, it's as simple as this, saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you died in my place and paid the penalty of my sin. I want to live for you. I receive you now. And as we close, you know what? I'm going to actually take a time to pray. And, and you know, this is a great reminder for those of us who are Christians. And, and it can be something that can refocus us at the start of the new year. Because the truth of the gospel is true for us today as much as it was when we first got saved. Amen? It's true for us every single day. And so it can be a great reminder. And so I'm going to pray. And I want to encourage you, and I'm going to say some phrases, and I want to encourage you to repeat these phrases after me aloud as a church. And those of you that don't know Jesus, here is your opportunity. Receive Jesus now. Don't wait. Don't wait till you walk out these doors. You have an opportunity and an invitation right now because Jesus is offering it to you. So let's pray, church. Please repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you died in my place and pay the penalty of my sin. I want to live for you. I receive you now. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for those powerful words that are life-changing. And Lord, I pray that as we walk out here, we don't lose sight of what our 2018 needs to be about. We need to be sharing Jesus with those around us, using our platform and preaching the good news. Lord, empower us, give us courage, because it's a scary task. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.